You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. All right, good morning. So as I have been introduced, I'm Greg Arthur, one of the pastors here. And I would like to um, start with just a little bit of the state of the state of the children's ministry. Um, we, you know, we're starting again, right? And one of the key things about this family is that we take care of the kids too, and we teach them and we bring them together. And prior to COVID, I mean, our, our church is one of the most serving, volunteer-oriented places that you could ever be. We had 60 or so people that would take turns taking care of the kids, 60 to 70 and teaching them and taking care of newborns to fifth grade. Um, right now, as we're getting started, we're more of a skeleton crew. We're like at 15 or 20. We need to get that number up so we can actually serve this family. So I'm just asking you as an appeal to think about that, you know, if you used to do it or if you'd like to do that, to please fill out the little yellow slip that's over there in the uh, information desk about uh, being uh, somebody who works in the children's ministry, and we'd really appreciate that. So thank you. All right. So if you know me, you probably know I'm one of those talkers that your mom warned you about when she used to uh, read from the Bible, saying from the Proverbs, uh, where there are many words, sin abounds. (laughs) However, also, if you know me, um, you probably know that I'm one of those Bible-thumping Christians, too, who just loves, when he does talk, talk about his Jesus and his word. So today, it's a real pleasure for me to get to talk to you about Uh, continue in our series from the book of James. It's entitled, Undivided Devotion, Following Jesus in All of Life. And it's special for me because today's passage about anger is one of my favorites in all the Bible, in that it most applies to me, and likely it applies to you. So, let's look at this passage. From James 1, 19 to 20. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. I've entitled today's message, Slow Like Jesus, because the Christian's life is essentially becoming like Christ in all of life. Slow where he's slow, quick where he's quick, and as we'll see together today, slow as he is slow to anger, and quick as he is quick to forgive. Now, a love of the word is a necessary qualification for me to speak to you all, but the love of talking, maybe not so much. So would you pray with me as we get started? I'm going to need it. My Lord, I ask you to give me the right words and give us the right ears to hear and the right minds to understand and the right hearts to obey so that we may be doers of your word from now until you take us home. Amen. As you may remember from uh, the start of the series, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James to say to Christians that we should not be double-minded about Christ. Rather, we should, be, we should have an undivided devotion to him. Should, ought to, it just follows. God's great gift of salvation given to us should produce a single-minded, Christ-like life in us. And when we say, well, yeah, sure, but how do, you, do I know if I have divided devotions, and besides, I'm super busy, and so could you hurry it up? 
James says, hey, you're my target audience. James' book is this short little pocket guide of the top 50 rules of the Christian life. Each rule is an easy-to-understand lesson that tells us how to live out one aspect of the Christian life that salvation by faith in Jesus should produce. The book of James is a gem of practical theology for all believers in Jesus, and for that reason, many of us just love this little book. However, that practical clarity is also why this book is hard to get through. For while the rules are clear, we find ourselves to be slow learners. Not we know, but not do, at least not consistently. The question is not whether we know the rule, but are we doing it? And if not, why? Are we doers um, and not just hearers? For a rule is useless if it's not followed. So today we're going to look at this rule in James about anger and see how to let Jesus be Lord of all of our life, even of our anger. So where to start? How about here? Anger is a fire. We all know this. We've all either burned with anger or been burned by anger or seen it burn. And like fire, there's no predicting where the anger will go. There's no predicting how fast it will move. There's no predicting what lines it will jump. This house stood while this one burned down. This town was spared while this one is ash. This family had time to pack up while this one lost everything. Anger is a fire. It must be dealt with. It must be controlled. It can't burn wild. On top of that, many of us know firsthand that anger in the home is especially destructive. Men in rage strike those that wish them best. Those closest to us often are the most burned. Even if our reasons have more to do with ourselves, our own internal dissatisfactions and our guilt, our own fears, our own failures, our own troubles and trials, our own disbelief in that Jesus who said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world, our disbelief that he's actually overcome the world. And so in disbelief, we're critical and irritated and frustrated, even yelling or worse to those who love us the most and to whom we love the most, right in our families, right in our homes. And this is because anger is a form of love. This is uh, Tim Keller. He writes a lot of good books. I'm going to just read one of his passages. If you never get angry about anything, you don't love anything. True love always gets angry. In its uncorrupted origin, anger is actually a form of love. It is just love, love moved to deal with the threat of someone or something you love. Hate is the opposite of love, not anger. There would be something wrong with us if we didn't get angry if someone was harming a daughter. Hmm, oh well, people will be people is not the response of someone who loves their daughter. But not every threat is as well justified. Angry with everyone who disagrees with me, or doesn't like me, or doesn't congratulate me, or doesn't show me respect, or doesn't show me love. What is threatened in me that everyone must agree with me, and must like me, and congratulate me, and show me respect, and show me love? What is threatened that I can't be corrected, or found lacking in any way? What is threatened that I can't be slow to anger and quick to forgive, as the Lord says? Here's Keller continuing. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you're actually worshiping. When it is threatened, 
Your anger is absolute. Your anger is the way the idol keeps you in its service. If your anger cannot subside, you may need to ask, what idol am I defending? Now, I know, I know about this. My parents were beautiful people. I was greatly blessed by God to have them. But when I was growing up, my mom was essentially always angry. I can count on my hand the days that she was happy with us. All the other days she was mad, and whoever was nearest got burned. She was critical about the little things like lint on the floor and crumbs on the table, and she was critical about big things like not making all A's or who you're going to marry. Now, there were many reasons for this. She grew up in wartime seeing unspeakable atrocities, and her dad raged against her, even to the point one day of sending a telegram to her saying, you are no longer my daughter. Plus, she married outside the Catholic Church, and she felt guilty for that too. But from her dad to her to me, anger spread like a fire. Just like the scriptures say, I will visit the sins of the father to the children, of the father to the children, and to the children's children. And so it's not surprising that I was myself an angry man, critical in heart about every little thing like my grandfather and my mother. And you would have thought that I would have directed all that anger toward my mom, but I didn't. It was toward my dad. It was toward my dad for not restraining her anger. And then it was toward anyone who irritated or frustrated me. My wife, my son, my sister, myself, and my God. I'm guessing many of you can relate. Yes, like many of those in James's time could certainly relate. Anger is a fire that must be controlled. So James writes this rule of practical Christian living to Christians who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, who are forgiven forever for every sin, who are already given the Holy Spirit in us, but who are not yet slowed anger like Christ. All right, what's the plain meaning of, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. What did James want us to know? And what is the Lord God through James telling us? Actually, you know, when you hear it again, it sounds pretty plain, doesn't it? That's the thing about rules. They're often not that hard to understand. Nobody is confused at a stop sign. We all know we should eat green leafy vegetables. No one wonders if a do not enter sign on a boarded up house applies to them. Rules are often just as plain as day. But whether we'll follow them is a different question. It's not just knowing the rule, it's learning to follow the rule. It's having good enough reasons to overcome our instinctual lawless heart. And so this rule, actually it's a commandment, and James is no exception. What does it say? Let's look at that. It says, all Christians who are the beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, saved by grace through faith, all of us, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It doesn't matter our background or our age or what has or happened to us. It doesn't matter what someone said or didn't say or did or didn't do. It doesn't matter rich or poor, smart or dumb, military or civilian, vaxxed or not. Everyone must be, everyone must be, everyone must be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Because a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. It says our anger does not bring about, achieve, accomplish, serve, produce the righteousness of God, which may be thought of as his perfect plan and purpose to redeem the whole fallen world through Christ and his word. And he will accomplish it as he proclaims in the scriptures. I love this one. I am God, there is no one like me, saying my plans will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's like gangster God. I will do everything I'm going to do and no one can stop me. In other words, James is saying that to be part of God's redemptive work on this earth, to be his workmanship, to do anything worthwhile in this life, to be on God's team, we who are in Christ must actively restrain our anger. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And we restrain our anger by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. All right, quick to hear. Now, being quick to hear is good advice all the time. Like when you're talking to your wife or your boss or the IRS. The old line is, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. But here in James, this isn't about good communication. Instead, this is a first step to transform our minds to become slow like Jesus to anger and therefore be on God's team. The context is in an earlier verse. Let's see. That's not it. There it is. Context is in an earlier verse. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives all to all generously and without reproach. The time to ask and receive wisdom from God is any time. Right now, in the midst of trouble and not after the fact. So quick to, ang- quick to hear means quick to hear God. Anytime. But how do we do that? What does it mean to be quick to hear God? First, it means to pray always for God's wisdom. Now this sounds impossible. Always word sounds impossible. But it's not for us who are in Christ. Because when he saved us, God gave us his Holy Spirit to be in us. The scriptures say that we're each now the temple of the Holy Spirit made sacred through the blood of Christ where God now lives. So asking God for wisdom can happen in every thought that crosses our minds, every fear, every doubt, every doubt that flashes through, everything that flashes through since he is in us, in our minds and in our thought lives. For me, this continual prayer sort of sounds in my mind like this. Yes, Lord, help, me, help my thinking here. My Lord, what does that mean? Yes, Lord, what should I do? Yes, Lord. My Lord, what should I do? What's going to happen? That's how that sounds in my mind. So being quick to hear God starts with cultivating this kind of thought life of always, always asking him for wisdom. Next, being quick to hear God means learning God's language which is his word. The more fluent in his language we become, the better we can hear what he has to say. Jesus promised us that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and bring to our remembrance 
what he has said. In other words, God most often and most clearly speaks to us through his word, bringing it to mind and explaining it by the Holy Spirit. So being quick to hear God involves a consistent study of the Bible. Finally, being quick to hear God means an instinct to seek godly counsel. Our sight can be murky, our hearing muffled, our minds a confusion, but often discussion with godly brothers and sisters untangles our thinking. The scriptures say, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And in many counselors, there is safety. This is where I all urge you to get involved in one of the small groups. <laughs> to be quick to hear, we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to fill our minds with his thoughts. And we need to walk this life with each other. All right, next, slow to speak. There are many reasons to be slow to speak. Here's one. Speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. The world is filled with, why did I say that, yes? And once you consider what's said on the internet and how it's said, we all know that there are many, 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 many more reasons to be slow to speak. In fact, I'll just say it. There are reasons to not post anything except cat pictures on the internet, <laughs> and especially not about politics. However, slow to speak in James is not a warning about the internet. It's instead, it has to do with that with the thinking, which sparks anger in ourselves. This is because speaking requires us to make conclusions, which ends discussion and inquiry, and it ends the search for understanding. And anger is sparked when we make judgments, conclusions, that we find ourselves to be under a threat. He can't say that to me. She always does that. You never listen. Nobody helps me. I'm just too stupid. What do you expect there? And then fill in the blank. Ignorant, evil, racist, lazy, losers, Republicans, Democrats, homeschooled, public schooled, bougie, ghetto. The one that rumbles around in my mind is, of course, when something breaks or doesn't work. These are all judgments. And when we make them, when we're quick to speak judgment in our minds, Regardless of whether we speak it aloud or just to ourselves in our minds, that's when we spark ourselves to anger, and anger is a fire. So slow to speak means being slow to speak judgment. Slow doesn't mean never, but it does mean to speak judgment with humility before Christ, who said, why do you not see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? It means an unwillingness to pass any halfway unfounded, unformed, even slightly unformed judgments about someone's character or their worth or their politics or their heritage or their sin and their salvation about their hearts and what their intentions are. And it means the other side of the coin too, a willingness to give the benefit of the doubt, to not prejudge, to bear and forgive to forbear and forgive, to put up with insecurities and with immaturity. For as it says in the scriptures, we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. 
But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Because if we are slow to speak judgment, we'll be slow to anger, slow to be offended, slow to outrage, slow to tear down, slow to name call, slow to fault find and slander and destroy. Jesus was slow to anger. You can count on one hand in the Bible the times Jesus got mad. When he cleared the temple of the money changers, when the Pharisees scoffed as he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and when the disciples kept the children from coming to him. Jesus did get angry, just not often and not for being wronged. Instead, when wronged, which was all the time, even from the beginning, in fact, it Right at the start, when King Herod sought to kill every infant boy in Bethlehem, when wronged, Jesus did not lash out in anger or smolder in anger or criticize in anger, but he instead kept preaching and teaching and doing the miracles of salvation. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted... He did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges right, righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. And then this one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, Jesus was slow to anger because he was quick to forgive. You might remember Jesus saying to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, rise and take up your bed and walk. Or he, how he taught the disciples, forgive as God has forgiven you. Or his story about the prodigal son whose father forgives him, saying, this, my son, was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. Or nearly the last thing Jesus says before dying on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Indeed, Jesus was surrounded by sin and death and anger and violence and betrayal and rejection directed at him and at those that he loved. And yet it was his nature to be merciful and gracious, quick to forgive, dying on the cross to take away the sins of the world. <laughs> making it just for God to forgive us of every sin, for by his wounds we were healed. Because it is God's nature, it's his nature to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So that means to be like Jesus is to be quick to forgive and thus slow to anger. To be slow to anger like Jesus doesn't mean never getting angry, though. He got angry, but he was just slow to it. His heart was mercy and forgiveness, not anger. The scriptures back this up saying to us Christians, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but don't let the sun set on your anger and give opportunity to the devil. Be angry, but put it all away. Be angry, but instead, be tenderhearted, kind to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. In other words, to be slow to anger like Jesus is to have a heart of forgiveness that is ready and willing to forgive just as we have been forgiven. What does that mean for us who are saved 
by grace through faith, who are already forgiven of all of our sins, who have already have the Holy Spirit in us. It simply means if we find ourselves to be slow to forgiveness, that we go to God in prayer and ask him to take out that heart of anger and transplant in his heart of forgiveness. Now, that happened to me. So uh, I was angry at my dad like crazy, just didn't know it. I prayed, but when he made it apparent to me, I prayed incessantly to forgive my father, saying to, to the Lord, you commanded me to forgive. And I agree, and I want to do it, but I can't do it. I don't know how. And I said it over and over. I prayed incessantly about that. And then after a couple months of just praying that over and over, in a flash, one day, while I was walking behind my parents on a snowy trail, I heard the, the Lord say to me in my ear, he too is a man just like you. And I knew what that meant, that he was just as beloved and just as forgiven as me. And right there, the Christian, me, who was already saved by grace, was given a new heart of forgiveness. And after that, it was a snap to forgive anyone, especially my mom, who I eventually found to be underneath all that anger, a sweet, kind, funny, beautiful woman. The best mom any son could have ever had. Slowed anger like Jesus means to be forgiving in heart like him. So if this isn't you, keep asking him to give you a heart of forgiveness, to be like him, and he will. All right. That's the commandment in the book of James regarding anger. Everyone must be quick to hear God, slow to speak judgment, and slow to anger like Jesus, who is quick to forgive. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And there are plenty of ways for us to pursue this in our uh, pursuit of becoming like Jesus all our lives. Now, this, is, this commandment is for those who are already saved. If you're not saved, but this appeals to you, that there is a way out of this anger, that Christ takes that away and changes us in heart. Well, I, I just ask you then to pray to let Jesus into your life. It says in the Scriptures that if anyone confesses with their mouth that... I'm going to get this wrong. If, any, <laughs> if anyone... Believe, no, says in, confesses in his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is. Yeah. So you can. Just ask him and he will. All right. This is what the commandment, this is what is said. But how we hear what is said is often a different matter. For too many of us who lived under and around anger and criticism, no matter what is said to us, we hear anger and criticism. One pastor said something critical. One boss kept yelling. One dad was never pleased, or in my case, one mom was always mad. It's as if there's a condemnation emoji affixed to everything in life. <laughs> and we can transfer this view of earthly authorities to God and hear anything that he says, even this commandment about curtailing anger as angry criticism. We place that emoji next to every verse in the Bible. That sense of criticism can make us give up in self-defeat. We say, what's the point of another commandment that I'm not doing? I already know that I'm an angry mess and that I've made an angry mess of my life. Hearing this just 
fills me with more hopeless regret. But this sense of condemnation is from the world, not from God. The Bible says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this, what shall we say to these things? Is that right? Yeah, that, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, he, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, to hear God right, we must tune out condemnation and tune in, he is for us. Change the station from condemnation to God is for us. I, that reminds me of this movie called Moneyball about how the 2002 Oakland A's changed baseball. Uh, in a nutshell, they valued batting over fielding, figuring that they couldn't pay for players that could do both. They're too expensive. So, but they could teach a good hitter to field, to play, base, to play the, the defense. So they picked a good hitter, a guy named Scott Hatterberg, who had never played first base to play first base. And they hired this guy, a great infield coach, Ron Washington, to teach him how. Now, I don't know this personally, but Dan Goodson explained it to me. An essential skill to play first base is called picking. And as I understand it, throws come to the first baseman, um, a lot of times they bounce in the dirt, and that, the, um, that skill of scoop, scooping the ball out of the dirt and into your glove is called picking. And it's a super hard skill to master. I watched the video of the drills that Ron Washington does with, to train ball players in this skill. He throws it to one side five times, and then the middle five times, and then to the backhand five times, and then he backs up and he does it again, and again, rinse and repeat. He does it for an hour or so, continually, fast, over and over. And as he does that, he keeps chattering at them. He keeps talking to them, saying, Keep the ball in front of you. There you go. There you go. Glove toward the ball. That's how you do it. And he often calls the player a picking machine. There you go, picking machine. There you go. Glove toward the ball. Glove toward the ball. There you go. It's the baseball equivalent of the verse where God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Ron Washington said, they're already on the team. They're already ball players with talent and desire to play. I just teach them how. This is how to tune our ears to hear God's commandments as skills to get good at under the watchful eye of Christ our coach. In life, we hear the Holy Spirit chattering away the word. That's it. Quick to hear. Quick to hear God. That's it. Keep my word in front of you. There you go. Slow to speak judgment. That's how you do it. No conclusions. Log in your eye. Log in your eye. There you go. Slow to anger like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. That's it. Now there's a temple of the Holy Spirit. No condemnation. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. There you go. God is for you. As he trains us to get better at the skill of being like him. Church, when you're saved, you're already on God's team. And God already credits your faith as righteousness. So you're fit for the kingdom. 
and you have talent and desire already. All that's left is learning the skills of being like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will teach you how. Like a coach to his players, this is how to hear Christ speak his beautiful words. All right, would you pray with me? My Lord, we ask you to train us in these skills to be like you. <laughs> Amen. Now, play ball.